You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, everyone from San Francisco. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, November 8th, and I'm very happy to be joined once again by fellow South Stands contributor Paige Van Horn from Denver. PBH, how you feeling this morning, my friend? I'm feeling pretty chipper today, buddy. Pretty chipper. <laughs> You're a little better than me. I'm. 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 Uh, I guess I'm feeling a little slightly overstimulated from all the activity between the election and all the college football action, and everything. Feeling a little off this morning. Anyway, I'll try to hold it together for us. Of course, we are here to recap Ohio State's 49-27 win over Rutgers in the horseshoe last night. But before we go there, PBH, I want to remind our listeners about our new website, which you can visit at the South Stands osu.com that's southstandsosu.com you can listen to all of our podcast episodes there and check out our new blog i'd also like to invite our listeners to head over to apple podcasts and rate and review the podcast we'd greatly appreciate your feedback there finally we'd like to invite you to give us a follow on twitter at south underscore stands that's south underscore stands all right so last night in columbus the Buckeyes jumped out to a commanding 35-3 halftime lead against Greg Schiano's Scarlet Knights. Justin Fields and the Ohio State offense exploded in the second quarter, outscoring Rutgers 28-zip. The Buckeye defense held the Scarlet Knights to 11 yards of total offense in the second quarter. The Buckeyes outgained Rutgers 353-83 in the first half and looked to be well on their way to another laugher in this series. And then the second half happened. Greg Schiano reached deep into his bag of trick plays and I think probably ran every single one of them as Rutgers outgained the Buckeyes 290 to 213 and outscored them 24 to 14 over the last two quarters. Now, our friend Bill Landis of The Athletic wrote that of Rutgers 370 total yards for the game, 116 of those came on trick plays. <laughs> Rutgers scored on a wide receiver throwback tackle eligible pass to 300 pound left tackle Raquan O'Neal. They also scored on a cross-field lateral on a punt return that went for a 58-yard touchdown by Bo Melton. Now, without those trick plays, Rutgers only averaged about 3.3 yards per play. But hey, give them some credit for finding a way to make this second half pretty interesting. Now, Ohio State helped Rutgers' cause with some untimely penalties, mental mistakes, and, and even a red zone turnover, which we can get into later. For the second week in a row, PBH, the Ohio State defense let its guard down in the fourth quarter. And we remember last week against Penn State, Ohio State surrendered two fourth quarter touchdown passes to Jahan Dotson. Last night, Rutgers scored three fourth quarter touchdowns and were well on their way to scoring a fourth, which you probably didn't see PVH because you were watching Clemson Notre Dame. But on a second and goal from the Ohio State seven yard line, the ball slipped out of quarterback Art Sikowski's throwing hand and Dallas Gant fell on it to preserve the 22 point Buckeye victory. But without that, Rutgers would have scored four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Now on the night, on a more positive note, Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson were masterful. Once again, Fields was nearly perfect, finishing the night 24 of 28 for 314 yards and five touchdown passes. He also ran for a sixth touchdown. Wilson had his third 100-yard receiving game in a row, finishing with 104 yards on six receptions and a touchdown. Olave caught five balls for 64 yards and two touchdowns and triple distilled smooth Jamison Williams caught his first touchdown pass of the season, a 38-yarder from Justin Fields in the first quarter. 
So PBH, my first question to you mm -hmm. is, in your opinion, what percentage of what we saw last night was, in the second half that is, was Ohio State letting its foot off the gas after taking a big lead, you know, in an empty horseshoe, no juice, perhaps not really taking Rutgers as seriously as they should, versus legitimate issues that might get them beat if they're not addressed? Give me a percentage of each. 10% and 10%. I mean, it, again, <laughs> you're worried about beating, granted, a terrible Big Ten team, but by 22 points. Um, so you didn't cover the spread. It was 35 to three. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, I actually played it perfectly because I didn't watch the game. I watched <laughs> Ohio State, or I mean, I watched Notre Dame Clemson. And then after that game was over, I watched the first half of the Buckeye game and did not watch the second half. I knew, I, I, I kept wondering, like, how could that final score be indicative of what I'm watching here? Right. And so I didn't have to live it like you did. <laughs> That's a wise move, my friend. Yeah, well, pure <laughs> blind luck, obviously. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the Clemson-Notre uh, Dame game. But you cannot expect a team at night, which nobody in the stadium, to be up 35 to three and keep up the intensity. And I, you know, I, I've read some quotes of people and tweets and stuff and like, this team doesn't have the dog in them and it doesn't know how to finish. And I'm like, it, when it's 35 to three, it's finished. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> and, and, and you're also playing, you know, young guys, you, you didn't have, you know, the Patsy non-conference schedule to, you know, give these guys playing time to mm -hmm. go to make mistakes. And then, you know, if, if the guy's going to throw, you know, halfback touchdowns to 300 pound linemen, then fine, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, I just have zero concern for it. And, you know, I'd say, look, you know, they don't know how to finish and stuff like, well, when they play a good team like Clemson, you're not going to be up 35 to three. There's not going to be any, you know, propensity for them to take the foot off the gas because they're never going to be in that position. So what are you talking about? What are you worried about? <laughs> and I just think it's, you know, yes, there's probably some things and for, for day to work on for them to work out some kinks, but to be overall concerned about this, I think it's just nonsense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Now for me personally, it's, 70% taking their foot off the gas and and 30% legitimate concerns. And and those legitimate concerns at 30% are, you know, lingering from the the pre the preseason, right? They were concerns that I had before the season started and they still appear to be there. But yeah, mostly Ohio State taking their foot off the gas. You're up 35-3 at halftime, you're dominating the game. You're playing a in an empty stadium, no juice. It's reasonable human nature really to come into that second half after completely dominating the opponent and not really taking them seriously in the third quarter. It is also fair to point out, I mean, how much of what Rutgers did last night in the second half is replicable? I mean, what other opponent is going to play like Rutgers did? And what other opponent also has Shiano's inside knowledge of Ohio State's scheme and personnel? He's only two years removed from his days in Columbus as Ohio State's defensive coordinator. So, you know, he's he's still pretty familiar with what Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson like to do as play callers. And, you know, you remember earlier this season, we saw Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss team mm -hmm. give Alabama all kinds of headaches and an ugly Crimson Tide win. But that was a similar set of circumstances, right? 
You had a guy in Kiffin who was very familiar with what Alabama likes to do. I read or heard that there were some allegations of even some, some like sign stealing or something, but kind of a similar set of circumstances. Bama survived it. We've, we've really forgotten all about it. And this game could very well be that same scenario here. Now, on the other hand, I, I do think the running game is still a bit of a concern. And while they're not on the 2018 level defensively, they're not anywhere close, in my opinion, to what they were on defense last season. I think they have some holes there. I'm not sure where the answers are going to come from. And now these next two weeks, we're looking at quarterbacks in Tunga Bailoa at Maryland and Penix Jr. at Indiana, who could give Ohio State some problems if they don't work out some of these things on defense. And actually, that's where I want to start. I know you only watched the first half. Just give me your take on the defense from what you saw of them last night. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. There's there's reason to be concerned. They're definitely not as good on defense as this year as they were last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it looks like their DBs might get tested, you know, pretty profoundly next week um, yeah. at Maryland. Which cool. We have a fun game to watch. You know, it won't be thirty-five to three. You know, it's kind of. <laughs> It should remind a high state fans what it's like to watch a game when you're not up 21 points the entire game. It's actually a pretty, you know, fun experience to actually watch a good competitive football game. And it's <laughs> true. Part of that seeps into, you know, the macro of what's happened the last two games against Penn state and, uh, and, and last night, but yeah, the, the DBs are going to be the concern, right? When they get tested, you know, with a real quarterback, um, and some decent wideouts, that's going to be the concern. Um, you know, the defensive line looks like it's coming into form though. Right. I mean, John Baptiste had a couple plays mm-hmm. boy, Vincent was making plays. I mean, we know about Haskell and, um, Togi, those guys, you know, and you know, the other funny thing is, did I see Harrison in the game in the first half? That's a good question and and one that I wanted to actually bring up. And it's been a recurring theme through these first three weeks. He did play, but I don't think I saw him until maybe the third or fourth defensive series of the game. And I don't know what's going on that he's not your starter opposite Jonathan Cooper. It was Javante Jean-Baptiste who started the game. And we know in the opener, I think I believe it was Tyler Friday who started opposite Jonathan Cooper, I can't remember against Penn State if it was Harrison who did start. It may have been. So it looks like Larry Johnson is using a rotation at that other end spot opposite Cooper. He seems very comfortable having Cooper, the main guy at at the one defensive end spot, and then he's rotating guys in there at the other end. But I'm with you. It's curious, isn't it? Yeah. Right? We all thought Harrison was going to be the man at defensive end and very quiet season from him so far. Yeah. Those other guys are playing well. And it could just be a thing like, you know, you were speculating maybe he was in the doghouse or something like that. Maybe he's, you know, um, he's not the second coming of, of Chase Young at this point. And so these other guys are getting playing time. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, you would have thought, though, you know, just with his his physical, you know, stats, I mean, that guy would be an impact player. It just hasn't turned out that way yet. But that right. happens. That's a, you know, I mean. You know, those aren't guys typically that can come in and can make an impact right away. He's only a true sophomore and, you know, that's right. he needs to get a little bit stronger. But it, I, it did, you know, I did notice, like, I don't even remember seeing him in the game, but the guys that were in the game were making plays. Yeah. Um, and I think the linebackers were fine, right? I didn't I agree. see 
you know, awful or, and I'm on the, the linebacker love train this year. I'm not going <laughs> to guys anymore. I'm, I'm going to roll with them. Uh-huh. The question is going to be, you know, hooker in the safety spot, seven banks way. It'll be fine. But when they get tested by their, you know, a, a real legit quarterback and, and, and wide outs, which is probably happening next week. Um, we could see some fireworks in a sort of a negative way for that secondary. I'm with you there. And, and we'll get to Maryland certainly a little later in this pod. And of course, we're going to preview the game later this week, but I'm with you. I'm My concernometer is bumped up several points for that game. My take on the defense, I thought in the first, it really was kind of a tale of two halves, wasn't it? You had 35 to three total domination you'd held Rutgers to under 100 yards of total offense in the first half. And then you have what transpired in the second half, fueled largely by trick plays. Again, the kind of plays that we're probably not going to see replicated from here on out. I think most of the other teams have the talent to play Ohio State straight up. So except for maybe in Illinois or Michigan State, we might see some trick plays in those games. But uh, it's not replicable. I don't think what Rutgers did in the second half to generate the offense that they did. I will say only one sack from the Ohio State front seven. That was that was credited to Tough Borland. Only five tackles for loss. Now, they were pretty good against the run, save for one play, which was also a trick play. Rutgers finished with 141 yards rushing, but got 66 of that on one play. It was a third and one call-up page. You didn't see it. It was in the second half. But Noah Vedrill, Rutgers quarterback, Fake the high snap as if out of the shotgun, as if the snap went over his head. And instead, it was a direct snap to running back Isaiah Pacheco. Now, that play should have only gone for about 10 yards. But Marcus Hooker completely whiffed in the open field on Pacheco, and he was off to the races. The play finished for 66 yards. Now, outside of that one play, Rutgers ran 75 yards on 31 carries. So I think the front seven did their job in the run game, save for that one long play. And again, I think you you have to credit Hooker there for the mistake. I mean, that was why that play turned into an explosive play. And we'll get to Hooker in a second. He did not have a good night. The pressure up front on on Vedral was was not great. I, I, I was a little disappointed in, in the Ohio State defensive line. They they didn't get the push from the interior that they had the last two weeks, and that's fine. I mean, you can you can't really expect your defensive tackle and your nose guard to provide, you know, consistent pressure on your quarterback. You do have to get something from the defensive ends. Here's a stat I checked on before you and I jumped on the phone today. We're three games in. The Ohio State defensive end rotation has produced only three sacks and one other tackle for loss. Three games in. We're only three games in, you know, not even halfway through this journey. So we'll see if that changes. But it's been a bit of a disappointment from the Ohio State defensive end rotation. We kind of already started talking about it with Zach Harrison. Where has he been so far? We were expecting big things from him. So we'll see what transpires as we go along here from that defensive end rotation. Rutgers had three three different quarterbacks throw passes in this game. And they even had a wide receiver on that throwback pass on the tackle eligible. I think it was actually statistically a lateral because the the ball didn't go forward, but that was actually from a wide receiver on that play. But they had three other quarterbacks take snaps and throw passes in this game. But Rutgers only averaged 4.8 yards per completion. I think you have to say the, the defense did its job. They're really limiting them in the passing game. So the issue for me though, if we're talking about the secondary, and Doug Lee Maurice was really hammering this on the Buckeye Talk postgame pod today, was really on the back end of the defense with Marcus Hooker. 
Maurice is really out on Hooker, and, and I tend to agree with him. Hooker's simply not doing his job on the back end. And, and I'm, I'm not even sure about Marcus Williamson at the slot corner. Both of those two had their moments where they were late, rotating over to the ball, missed tackles, not making great reads, not taking great passing or tackling angles. You know, with Cam Brown out, there was an opportunity for Tyreek Johnson to step in and do something. And he was pretty disappointing last night. Again, you didn't get to see much of him in the second half. But Johnson had a couple plays who looked like he looked like a chicken with his head cut off. Mm. You know, we're talking about a top 25 player. Yeah. a five-star and he's been a pretty big disappointment so far. So I, I don't know where they turn in the secondary. I was very, very surprised that Marcus Hooker won the starting safety job over Josh Proctor. And when we talked to Nathan Baird of cleveland.com a few weeks ago, Baird was like, oh, that's kind of a known thing, right? We've known about it for a very long, for months actually, that Hooker was going was gonna to start. And I was like, really? I was really surprised to hear that. I mean, those guys know better than I do, but I thought that had to be very disappointing for Proctor. I did not understand the choice of Hooker. And so far, I have not seen anything really to justify that move. And I'm wondering if we're, we're very soon going to see Josh Proctor getting most of the playing time and safety. I don't. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, actually, I was wondering who else could they potentially go to after those two guys? Um, I mean, you know, like safety is one of those positions where like you look at Fuller from last year, you just, you know, just don't make terrible errors, right? right? Kind of be okay. Right. Um, we don't need you, you know, to, to be Malik Hooker, right? We just, but you just make an open field tackle, right? When, you know, that they break, you know, the second level and you got to be there, you got to make those plays. Right. And so I'm wondering, you know, is, is there anybody else they could potentially go to? I don't know. I mean, you know. I, yeah. Well, the name that came up during the Buckeye Talk postgame podcast today was Ryan Watts, who I believe is a freshman. He's certainly an underclassman. I'll have to look Watts' profile up. But he was a player who, who saw a little time last night. Maybe he gets into the mix. I, I don't know. But maybe you start with Josh Proctor there and see if he can help stabilize the back end of that defense. Now, you know, Proctor's a little boomer bust himself, but I really thought that he was going to be the guy. He's the obvious choice, and he's got the recruiting profile, right? We're talking about a top 100 player. The talent is there. We've seen it before. He's a big hitter. He's a good athlete. I, I kind of feel like you got to... What do you got to lose? Because Hooker's just not getting it done. Now, look, it hasn't been damaging yet. Ohio State just hasn't faced a passing game, hasn't faced an opponent that can make them pay for mistakes on the back end. But now as we we start to look forward to offenses in Maryland and Indiana that could do some damage, and certainly beyond that, as we apply that, you know, that that uh, Clemson, Alabama standard, that's something for Ohio State to work on. Let's, you know, let's not push the panic button either. This is not DEFCON 5 either. Mm -hmm. I don't want to overreact to that, but I do think it's it it's problematic and something they need to address. They go to a two deep uh, safety, you know, I, I mean, uh, again, this they is could my pay grade for, you know, understanding defenses, but w when did a single safety become like the, the way that all defenses, you know, play that position these days. So is there ever a scenario where Proctor and Hooker are both in the game? Yes. And then, okay, so who are you taking off the field at that point? You start to play somebody like next week, Maryland, 
where you might see a more prolific, you know, run game, some, some true, you know, game breaking athletes. Mm -hmm. The guy that screams that comes out of that game is our friend, tough Borland. Um, and so maybe if you have both those guys back there, you potentially limit the, the big mistakes that, you know, either one of them seems to have propensity to make when they're out there on their own. Well, we have seen two safety looks with both players on the field several, you know, several times this season, depending on the situation. So maybe that is a look that that we see more of that they 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 go they go away from that three corner look. I mean, look, I don't think Marcus Williamson is setting the world on fire. And I always felt that last year when they went to that three corner look with a single high safety, it was just because they had three very special cornerbacks that were just too good to keep off the field, right? You had Sean Wade who could play in the slot. So I thought it was just the personnel that dictated the way that they played. But I think the personnel probably dictates a different approach this year where you don't have the the guys at corner, right? Three future first round draft picks at corner that dictates that you play that way. Maybe you do play with two more with two safeties. But to me, it seems Proctor needs to be out there a little bit more than he has been. Well, and again, it comes back to we kind of suspected the defense would take a step back mm-hmm. and maybe they're witnessing, and it is what it is. I mean, these are the guys you have. You got to roll with them. And yeah. so um, I don't know. I think I, I, I read they're like 39th in total defense, which is not great. Um, how much of that is at garbage time, you know, in the second half, mm-hmm. um, you know, probably skews those numbers a little bit, but I don't think we thought we would have a top five defense this year, like we did last year. And we clearly don't. So they're just going to have to roll with the guys that they have. And, you know, your coaches make adjustments, right? All the scheme that's going to work for the personnel that you have. No, I I totally agree. And it's Rutgers. It's an empty horseshoe. You're up 35, three, you did your job on both sides of the ball, getting command of that game early on. Greg Shiano junked it up in the second half, playing a way that nobody else on their schedule, I don't think, is going to attempt to play. So let's not overreact either. I I, I freely admit, I, I tend to be the one between the two of us that overreacts to these sorts of things. Well, especially <laughs> in this case, because you watched it and I didn't. So there's probably a reason why. Yeah. So, so as a quick aside, by the way, good move on your part to just record Ohio State Rutgers and really focus on what was a great Clemson Notre Dame game. I still have yet to go back and look at the replay of that game. I I had it on my iPad and was paying a little bit of attention to it while I was watching Ohio State, but I was I was just so irked that the Big 10 put this game in primetime. Why yeah. play this game in primetime? And I know advertising dollars all that stuff, eyeballs and primetime all that stuff, but god, why play this game in primetime? This is a 9 a.m. kick. If you're on the West Coast like me, this is a noon kick. Should have been a noon kick. Get this out of the way so we can all watch Clemson Notre Dame. I was so annoyed by that. Yeah, that was annoying. But the reason why they probably did it, though, is because it was the Big Ten Network got the game. And then right. when they get Ohio State, they want to put Ohio State on primetime because sure. they know that's going to draw the biggest number. Yeah. And then you also had the Joe Biden thing, right? Which was yeah. hilarious, right? When they cut over from the <laughs> like, God, where's uh, the USA channel? I'm like, is that still a channel? <laughs> yeah. Miami three runs on the USA network. Um, okay. Right. On the Notre Dame game. Between Biden's speech, which I did want to watch, and the Clemson Notre Dame and Ohio State Rutgers, I was just, by the end of the night, I was completely overstimulated. I, I went to bed and my mind was just racing a million miles an hour, which explains why I'm feeling a little groggy today. All right. 
let's switch over to the offense. And, and I want to spend a little time waxing poetic about Justin Fields and Olave and, and Garrett Wilson because they really are a sight to behold and, and we can't ignore the obvious. And, and we do want to stop and appreciate what this team does well. It still does a lot of things really well. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about the running game. 203 yards rushing on 37 carries, five and a half yards per carry. On its face, those numbers aren't bad. Now, 38 of that came on a fake punt to steal Chambers, but, you know, not terrible numbers, not, you know, decent. Now, Master Teague and Trey Sermon got 12 carries each. They combined for 128 yards. I know you just watched the first half, but what did you see from the Ohio State running game last night? So the offensive line didn't have a good game. That's obvious. One I agree. thing I was thinking about was, you know, it seems like they do the, the the RPO quite a bit, and there's almost zero chance that Justin Fields is keeping the ball. Right. And that play never worked. It didn't work in the first half. I mean, they would stuff it every single time. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if teams are starting to key off that, saying, look, it, it, in this formation, 90% of the time, he's just going to hand the ball off to the running back. Now, maybe that's what Day's telling him to do. I'm sure it uh, is. And, and, but then also, you know, like as, as much as we banged on JT Barrett, he ran that play exceptionally well. Like it is kind of an art to it. And maybe Justin Fields isn't that great running that. And so that's the one question that I had watching like you said, like a pretty mediocre run attack outside of the offensive line last night. It's like, if, if, if you're not going to really truly run the RPO, like it's an option, then why not just freaking line up in the knife formation or try something different? Because what you're doing clearly really isn't working that well. That's a good point. Opposing defenses don't seem to be particularly concerned about fields in that read option look. No. They're king. Yeah on the running back. And hey, if we know this, if we know Justin Fields is the the golden goose, he's the key to Ohio State's title hopes. And we remember what his injury last year meant to their title chances. We know our, our opponents know that. And they know Ryan Day is not going to call many runs for Justin Fields. And that's a really good point because I really thought coming into the season with what we all thought would be a really good off- offensive line and a running threat in Justin Fields, that would open things up for Teague and Sermon, who, let's face it, we're not talking about Zeke Elliott and J.K. Dobbins here, but if you've got the threat of the run in Justin Fields in that inside zone read, you've got defenses worrying about him, oh, that maybe up, that opens up running lanes for Teague and Sermon, but that has not been the case, as you pointed out. The offensive line was not great last night. I totally agree, especially in some pass protecting. Uh, situations. Harry Miller was terrible. He had three holding penalties last night. Three. I mean, that's like Isaiah Prince territory, right? It wasn't Prince was the false start guy, right? You can almost count yeah. on like three or yeah. four false starts a game with him. Yeah. Yeah, Harry Miller was a disaster yesterday. Not a great showing from the Ohio State offensive line. We'll get to that in a second. Now, to be fair, if Rutgers does one thing well, they are pretty good against the run. Mm-hmm. They came into this game fifth nationally against the run giving up only 79 yards a game and only two yards per carry. And Shiano, look, he's a defensive coach. We know this guy outside of 2018. We know the guy can coach defense. Yeah. And he had his team ready. My take, I think, is, well, first of all, I thought Trey Sermon was a waste of carries for most of the night. 
He somehow ended up as Ohio State's leading rusher with 68 yards and an average of 5.7 yards per carry. Now, that per carry average is probably the most misleading stat in the entire box score. Teague had a 36-yard run late in the fourth quarter after the outcome had already been decided to really kind of goose his stats. You take that away, he was 32 yards on 11 carries. It'd be, you know, to be, again, to be fair, Masters Teague stat line, very similar. He finished with 60 yards, but also had a 25-yarder that really goosed his numbers. You take that long run away, you actually take both of their long runs away. Each of them averaged about three yards per carry. But I still feel that Teague is going to more consistently get you that four yards, five yards, six-yard carries to kind of keep you on schedule. I, I feel like Sermon is a little too boom or bust. You, you get several, you know, no gains. One, two-yard losses in a row, maybe three or four. There's Then he'll pop off a 20-yarder. I feel like with Teague, they're still getting more consistent production out of him. So if we turn our, our, our turn ourselves to the question, what can they do to get more production out of the run game? Then now, with the way they throw the ball, High State doesn't, they, we're not talking about massive production out of the run game, but they do have to be a threat there. I think the obvious answer to me is, Master Teague needs to be getting the lion's share of the carries. I think he needs to be your lead back. I just think he can more consistently deliver those five to six yard runs to keep the offense on schedule than Sermon. Would you agree with that, Paige, or do you think there's some other solution out there? Yeah, Sermon's been disappointing. He, he, you, you, the way, when he gets the ball, you're like, oh, you know, he just has the the look to him, like he's he's got the right build. He's going to be quick. He's going to hit the hole, and it just kind of doesn't ever happen. No. Right? What, what's going on there? So I agree with you. And then you kind of wonder, okay, well, maybe Steel Chambers will start to take some carries. Yeah. Um, he fumbled in the red zone last night, though. And then he fumbled. Yeah, I know he did that. And yeah. So that you know, doesn't bode well. But it it is. Yeah, it's. But I think I think we're trying to compare it to something that they just they don't have the personnel. And yeah. I think. I don't think that's going to change either. Mm-hmm. And I think Day is going to keep rolling with this because he knows it doesn't matter until he gets to the end of the season. He can win with this this balanced attack. But I can foresee a situation, you know, down the road where Justin Fields is potentially passing the ball 65 times a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they can win that way, by the way. Um, I mean, just the amount of weapons that they have, you know, like a five yard curl, that's not that hard, right? I mean, for that team, mm-hmm. you know, that's practically a run play. So I do envision a potential game scenario where they have to do that. And I think they can be successful. Um, yeah. But that's only going to be against maybe two or three teams in the whole country. The one thing that gives me a pause about just conceding that the passing game will really drive this offense and let's not worry so much about the running game is it. This is still the Big Ten. And we're playing games in November and December. And last night was unseasonably warm. I think it was like 70 degrees in Columbus. Very nice, perfect conditions for a football game last night. We can't count on conditions like that going forward. You know, you go to Illinois, who stinks, right? We know that. But for for whatever reason, historically, the games there are just ugly. And you got those tornadic level winds there where maybe you're not going to be able to you can't be as effective in the run game or pardon me, you're throwing the ball and you're going to have to be able to run the football a little bit. And this is a weird season because we're playing regular season games well into December and we know the weather is ultimately going to become a factor. So they do have to figure something out there, something that's going to give them more consistency. I would personally start with giving Master Teague the lion's share of the carries. There also is something to, when you're doing this 50-50 split stuff, 
You know, J.K. Dobbins admitted it in 2018 or after that season, right? He said at last beginning of last year that it was really tough for him having to split carries with Mike Weber. It was tough for him to get into a lather, get into a rhythm. Maybe you go with Teague, you give him the lion's share of the carries, you let him get get into a lather, he might be a little bit more effective. But I think he's their best bet. And then you let the passing game kind of make up the rest of the deficit there. Yeah. That's that's what I think. And and I like I like your point also, Paige, about how a little flare out to Chris Olave, a little screen bubble screen out there for six, seven, eight, nine easy yards. That's as good as a running play. Right. Yeah. So um, maybe you do a little stuff there with those jet sweeps, right? We saw a jet sweep again to to Wilson again. It didn't go for as big as big a yardage, but they ran that jet sweep again. So you get the wide receivers maybe a little bit more involved in the run game. Maybe there's a solution there. So we'll see yeah. how that how that happens. But again, to be fair, if Rutgers does one thing well, they do defend the run pretty well. So give them a little bit of credit. I also just did something that's also a little unfair to both Sermon and Teague, which is take away that 36-yard run. Well, hey, give the kids some credit. It was a 36-yard run. You can't take that away. Same with Teague. He had a 20-yard run. I'm like, well, you take that away, but you don't, right? You got to you got to give those kids credit for making those plays. So, Well, it, like who would have thought Rutgers would have been in the top five in anything? <laughs> I know. Like that's actually like the most stunning statistic I think I've heard all year. So uh, yeah, maybe there, there's something to that. And, you know, the other thing that I, you know, when you were talking, as I mentioned, like the, the run pass option, you know, Day's not dumb, right? He could, he's like, look, we'll keep running this play and then I'll unleash the real thing when I need it against Michigan, right? Like he could be setting teams up, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. to, you know, we're just going to, yeah, we're, we are going to give it the master T or Trace Herman 80% of the time, but down the road, you're going to really start to key off it. <clears throat> and when and when Fields keeps it, guess what? He's gone for 50 because there's nobody at home. We will at some point see Justin Fields as a runner. And I think when they really have to rely on him to run the football, which they have not yet needed to do, we will see him as a runner. The, the goal here is to keep him upright, to keep him healthy, you know, to minimize the bumps and bruises and wear and tear on his body until they really need him in the run game. Yeah. All right. Maybe we spent a little bit of time on what we saw in the passing game from Justin Fields. Let's let's marvel a little bit more at what we're seeing. It's like, it's like Chase Young last year. It really it's, is. It's just so incredible to watch and you feel dumb talking about it, but then you have to take a step back and say, Jesus Christ, this is really good. Like it's just Wilson. And the funny thing about Wilson, it doesn't seem like he's that fast. But my God, he's just constantly wide open. It's crazy. It's crazy. He's he's fast enough. He runs precise routes. I think he and Olavi are highly intelligent players. And that's just a get. That's not me talking about as a guy who knows anything really about football. But to me, there's an intelligence in the way that they play. But is there anything more beautiful? than the way Garrett Wilson works a sideline with his feet or the yeah. back of the end zone with his feet as he did on that touchdown catch. Oh my God. He always seems to get two feet down. He's like a ballet. He's like Barishnikov <laughs> getting two feet down. The, the grace. And I don't think people understand just how difficult that is to do. You've got a guy hanging on you that you've, you've beaten in coverage. The ball's you know coming at you 70 miles an hour and you have the you have the wherewithal to, you know, snare the ball out of the air, secure it, and do the little pitter patter to get those three, four steps in before you go out of bounds. I think that is poetry. 
there was a, uh, a catch he had, it, so clearly it had to be in the second quarter. It was sort of a crossing route. It was maybe 15 yards and Fields ripped it. And it, was, it wasn't behind him, but it seemed like it was like at least on his back hip. Mm-hmm. And he just snared that ball like nobody's business. Like it was just no problem. And, you know, like not, not only, you know, just being intelligent, player in general and running just amazing routes. Those guys have ridiculous hands. Ridiculous hands. They don't drop anything. It's and, nuts. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to matter. I, they can they can pull down balls in traffic, contested balls. It's almost a disappointment. You're almost like, what happened there? You know, when they, when they when the, the rare incompletion, right? Which, you know, in those cases, it's usually some ridiculous catch that no other receiver would have any chance at, at even making a play on in the second quarter that at one point he had um he, he had less inner or um incompletions than he did touchdowns <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> more touchdowns than incompletions i saw oh, that yeah, stat exactly couldn't, couldn't quite get that out <laughs> yeah. absurd. It, that. it's absurd the, the level of accuracy from fields it it seems like eons ago going back to last season where we kind of we weren't sure how accurate he was going to be. Maybe he's more of an athlete than a, a thrower. It just seems absurd to me that at Georgia, when he did come into the game as a freshman, Kirby Smart just used him as a in the single wing as a running back. Like, why wouldn't you want to see him throw? The arm talent there is stunning. The accuracy, it's Joe Burrow level accuracy that we're seeing from him. He is really, I think he's completing well over 80% of his passes so far, which is I think that's tops in the country, certainly of of his contemporaries, you know, his his fellow Heisman candidates, it's the highest completion percentage. It's it's stunning. And what can you say about Chris Olave? Very similar in 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 terms of the way that he can work a sideline, get both feet down, reliable hands. He's obviously more of a, a slightly more of a vertical threat than Wilson, but this combination of quarterback and wide receiver. When have we ever seen this level of playmaking before? We can count on one hand when we've seen it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would you compare it to? You go back to perhaps yeah. Ted Ginn, Santonio Holmes, Tony and Gonzalez, Troy Smith. At one time back in the in the late '90s, you had Terry Glenn and Joey Galloway on the roster at the same time though Joey, Joey Galloway was a year or two ahead of Glenn and Glenn had not yet matured into a big time playmaker yet they were kind of they were big time playmakers for Ohio State but in different offenses in in a, a couple years apart but they were on the roster at the same time if you're just talking about pure talent and playmaking ability but not fully realized at that point I don't think we've seen it before now and what we're seeing in Olave and Wilson would you agree with that yeah yeah, no, I, this is a different level. I mean, there's been some, you know, greatest ever, probably, maybe. Um, but this is for sure a different level. At Ohio State, for sure, it is a sight to behold. And I do need to take more time to stop and appreciate what they are and what they bring to the table. And they really do give Ohio State a great, great chance to win every game that they're in. You don't want to underestimate the impact that they have, even without a deficiency on on defense and and in the run game. This is how you win now in college football. Just ask Georgia, right? Georgia yesterday against Florida, they went into that game with a guy who should probably be playing Division Three uh, at quarterback, but with a great defense and 
talent, five-star talent everywhere else on the roster. And they got run out of the stadium by Florida, who has elite play at quarterback. This is how you win now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, it's the most important position on the field. It can make up for so many deficiencies elsewhere. It's crazy. It, it really is crazy. The offensive lines and how they, you know, column plays, setting up plays. I mean, your head's on a swivel. Like, like where, where do you begin when you start to dissect how do you stop the Ohio State offense? And good luck with that. Good luck with that. You know, I was also, I, we're also starting to see something with Jeremy Ruckert at tight end. Mm-hmm. He just, he's always there to deliver, especially in the red zone. He's a weapon in the red zone there in the passing game. And when you're looking for options, especially with a bit of a shaky running game in the red zone, he's another option there. Yeah, well, he's just a total mismatch. Like, who are you putting on that guy? He's yeah. like six, he's quick. You put a linebacker on him, you're toast. Can't bring, you know, a, you know, a corner over him because then, okay, then you're one-on-one with Wilson and Lave. It just creates too many problems. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Yeah, like he's, he's, he's definitely making a big impact for them and probably will make much more so as, you know, season goes on. I think they got some things to clean up and pass protection with the offensive line. Again, it was a, a pretty lousy night for Harry Miller, three holding penalties. White Davis was also flagged for a holding penalty. There were a couple of other plays, and I can't remember if these were first or second half plays, but you may remember them, Paige, where Fields evaded a blitzer who came completely free right up the middle. And he just had this little nifty sidestep, made the guy whiff and, and fired the pass. I mean, he did that at least twice that I can remember. So some things to clean up for Ohio State in pass protection. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that. There were at least three plays where a guy was coming untouched to fields mm-hmm. and he just completely whiffed on it. Yeah. Like, it, it, I mean, that that's pretty, you know, I mean, it, and then to have the wherewithal to compose yourself and then, you know, pick up your receiver and, and throw a strike. I oh. mean, you know, it wasn't like instances where, you know, the guy was, you know, just beat around the end. I mean, these guys were untouched right at fields. And he just mm-hmm. literally stepped to the left or right or twirls. And then the guy is on his stomach. It's pretty damn amazing. Just that in and of itself. And he did it multiple times yesterday. He did. I give, I give Shiano some credit for dialing a few things up there defensively. With his with his pressures, and I thought Rutgers was very competitive in the trenches defensively for most. For, well, certainly in the second half, but much more competitive than I thought they would be. You know, for a team who lost by three touchdowns and gave up forty nine points and over five hundred yards of total offense, he did right. dial a few things up defensively. Now he's got a couple of former Buckeyes on that defense, Malik Barrow, who you may remember. He was a guy that transferred out. He was a defensive line, and then of course Brendan. White, who, by the way, it'd be kind of nice to have Brendan White in a Buckeye uniform with the issues they're having in safety, right? I mean, it's a shame he transferred out because there definitely would have been playing time for him. But I think we've successfully dissected that performance last night. I want to move on to some other action around the country that I thought was relevant. Yeah. I, I know you didn't see this game, but I think it's important that we talk about it because it involves Ohio State next opponent. Maryland went into Happy Valley and put it on Penn State last night, uh, or yesterday afternoon, I should say. Very impressed. A 35-19 victory for Maryland. Talia Tungavailoa, this is Tua's little brother, was very impressive. Now, he did most of his damage in the first half. Penn State kind of contained him in the second half. 
but he looked very explosive. The, the passing game of Maryland looked very explosive. Tonga Vailoa found uh, freshman Rakeem Jarrett for five completions, 144 yards and two touchdowns. Rakeem Jarrett, that's a guy everybody in the country wanted last year. He's a true freshman. He's a local product. I think it was down to Maryland and LSU. Jarrett decided to stay home and play with Maryland. That battery of those two looks pretty explosive and one Ohio State has to be ready for. The other thing, uh, that performance begs the question, what level of effort did we see from Penn State? They went into that game 0-2 with really no chance to play for anything meaningful for the rest of this season. So you have to wonder how many of those kids were kind of checked out to begin with. But give credit to Maryland, 35-19 in Happy Valley. And now we go to College Park to face Maryland next week. That was the that was the site of that disastrous 52-51 overtime win for Ohio State back in 2018. Paige, give me your take on on what happened last night. I know you didn't see much of the game, but just give me your thoughts on, on Maryland's performance against Penn State. And let's spin this forward a little bit and how you might think that game looks against Maryland next week. Yeah, that'd be great if we could talk about a game I actually watched. Um, <laughs> No, I, I mean, I'm actually excited because now I think that'll be a good game next week. And of course, I think any Ohio State fan will remember at Maryland two years ago. And maybe that game turns out to be, or the game, you know, next week is more similar. It's just an offensive shootout. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how decent Maryland's um, defense is. But um, yeah, with uh, Tua's little brother, he could give our DBs debts. And so, yeah be a, a good test for high state so i'm actually I'm, I'm glad i'm excited and the other thing i was thinking what's the combined record of penn state michigan and michigan state at this point is it two and eight that may very well be that's that may very well be let me let me have a look at that actually penn state so yeah you've got you've got michigan at one and two michigan state at one and two so that's two and four and then penn state oh and three so two and seven combined record of the the teams that that once made the East Division in the Big Ten, one of the toughest in the country. Of course, you, you count Ohio State in the mix there, but those three teams are bringing up the bottom of the That's Big crazy. Ten East standings right now. You got Penn State in dead last place, Michigan, Michigan State, just ahead of them at one and two. Well, you 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 Michigan State ahead in the standings, right, with the, the head-to-head victory over Michigan. Yeah, a, a very sudden an interesting change of the guard in the Big Ten East, right? Outside of Ohio State, of course. But now you've got Indiana, who's technically in first place, in a first place tie with Ohio State, and Maryland. Now the 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 challengers to Ohio State in the East. What, what do you think of that? I Yeah, I mean, it's, it's stunning. Uh, I'm actually happy for it because I think Ohio State needs to be tested. Yeah. Um, and who knows how good Penn State, I mean, oh, and three for Penn State. Uh, okay, that's... That's hard to believe. We probably get to Michigan. We can talk about that, but I don't think anyone's really concerned about that. So I think any good competitive games for Ohio State and looks like Maryland. And I think Rutgers might turn out to be one of the better teams they end up playing this year. Like who knows? They kind of so <laughs> upside down this year. But um, I want to see some, you know, some competitive football. And I think anytime Ohio State gets tested is only going to bode well for them once they get to the end of the season. So I think that. A weird turn of events, but I think, you know, somewhat somewhat a good turn of events as well. I would agree. It's kind of a nice welcome change, isn't it? Yeah. The the 
especially for Michigan fans, but I think Big Ten fans in general would say the Harbaugh show at Michigan getting kind of old and stale. There's clearly a ceiling there with the way they approach recruiting and, and the type of game that they want to play on both sides of the ball. It's just not working anymore. And you might even be able to say the same thing of Penn State, that the approach is, is a, a bit stale. And we might even see both of those schools moving on from those coaches after the season. We'll see. I tend to think Franklin's in a slightly better position than Harbaugh. But man, I got to think Harbaugh's seat is on fire right now. And and the one thing I, that separates Maryland and Indiana as kind of these new challengers in the Big Ten East is the fact that they have dynamic quarterbacks. That is modern day football. Texas Tech of the Big Ten, right? Where, yeah. you know, they're like, look, we could, like, remember Stefan Diggs? He was oh, yeah. think, a kid, you know, like Maryland has some guys. They always you know, do. Some skilled players and kudos to the coach to say, hey, look, we can't line up and beat Ohio State in the trenches, right? You know, and win a game 30 to 27. But maybe we can compete with them if, you know, we can get in a track meet. And so they adjust to the personnel that they have. And Maryland has skilled players. There's a lot of good high school talent in, in that region. Maryland gets some of those guys. Yes, they do. Your team spits. Yeah. Yeah. If Loxley can start keeping more of these guys at home. I mean, Chase Young was a Maryland kid. Yeah. Dwayne Haskins from the same same area. I mean, did, there is good prep talent in Maryland, so we'll see. Well, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but yeah, Mike Loxley seems to be pretty well positioned here with Talia Tungavailoa and and Raheem Jarrett. I mean, those guys, you have to respect what they can do. Very explosive. So I'm not sure what to make of the Maryland defense. And again, maybe this, this points to just Penn State really kind of mailing it in yesterday. But, you know, Maryland, if you look, they gave up, 44 points in a win over Minnesota last week. They gave up 43 to, you know, let's face it, kind of a plodding, mediocre, but improved Northwestern offense in the opener. They lost 43 to three to Northwestern in the opener. They eke out a win in overtime, 45-44 over Minnesota in week two. Maryland defense did not play well, obviously, in either of those games. But then yesterday against Penn State, I'm going through the stat sheet here, seven sacks of Sean Clifford and nine tackles for loss. They pushed Penn State. I watched most of that game. They pushed Penn State around in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They also ran the ball pretty well, at least early on. So I don't know what they have on defense. I I tend to think the outcome yesterday was as much a result of Penn State just not really bringing 100% effort into that game as it is the way Maryland played. But I I agree with you. All of a sudden, this game at Maryland has some juice, has some intrigue, and and it could turn into a track meet. And I might very well, I mean, honestly, if I had to rank him with what I saw yesterday at a tongue of Iowa, I mean, he had an out-of-body experience in the first half of that game. He might very well be the second best quarterback in the league after Justin Fields. How the hell did he end up at Maryland? He Alabama? was yeah, he transferred from uh from Alabama. To be honest, I don't know the whole story there, but what a coup for for Loxley. That's a huge get for him. So Michigan, equally uninspiring in a, in a loss to Indiana. Now you and I both picked Michigan to win that game. I regret oh, that pick. I think I was 0 for 4. So 
<laughs> yeah. No, I totally hedged on Clemson, Notre Dame. I think I said Clemson by a hair, but I said that I could totally see Notre Dame winning. And then I kind of went into like, what if Notre Dame does win? So it was a total hedge on my part, but I did technically pick Clemson, Clemson to eke that one out. And they almost did. Let's get to brass tacks on Michigan. Is is Are we watching Jim Harbaugh's last season in Ann Arbor, do you think? I don't think so. Um, but it it is stunning to me that that guy is just in pure denial about what's going on with his football program. <laughs> you know, just his comments after that game are just, <laughs> I, I can't even believe it, right? Like, oh. What did he say? I think we're close or something. I can't yeah, remember the exact we're, we're quote. Corner, we're close. You know, uh, I don't know. He's quoting scripture. I'm like, dude, yeah. close to last place in the division. Is that what you meant? <laughs> it, it's unbelievable. And I, you know, I picked Michigan. I figured, you know, he's pretty good at winning. You know, some bounce back games. These games that yeah. he should win on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, I didn't see any of this game, but it seemed. Everything that I read, they were outclassed. And if you're getting outclassed by personnel, by Indiana and you're Michigan, I mean, I don't unpack which problem you want to start with that either (laughs) you don't know how to evaluate talent or your team quit on you or, or something else. But these are not easy fixes for Michigan. And the only reason why I think he stays is because I just don't know where they go. And, Mm. um, but I just love the fact that he's completely still like tone deaf, like everything's fine here. Like, uh, Jim, your house is on fire. (laughs) Well, the difference of what we're seeing this season compared to his previous, what is it now, five seasons in Ann Arbor is he's no longer winning the games that he's been good at, at winning, right? Going coming into this season, Michigan seemed to live with, they were okay with the fact that he just wasn't great against top tier competition. They seemed okay with that. But if you're going to get housed by Indiana and and get pushed around by Michigan State, who by the way looked terrible, just got run out of the stadium by Iowa yesterday. So Michigan State stinks and they lost to Rutgers in the opener. They get hammered by Iowa. They come into your house, Jim Harbaugh, push you around and win that game. If you're losing games like that in the fashion that they're losing, I think this might be this is a bit of a, a game changer in my opinion. I don't know that he's going to survive losing many more games like this. I'm just looking at this at the stat sheet here. Indiana. So Indiana outgained Michigan by 100 yards basically, 460 to 357. Indiana held Michigan to 13 yards rushing. 13 yards rushing. You're Michigan and you're getting beat up in the trenches by the Indiana defense to that tune, 13 yards rushing. Very ugly performance by Michigan, but give Indiana credit. They're they're going through a renaissance, some kind of rebirth uh, in Bloomington. So, So give them credit. They're a fun team to watch. Still not sure how good they actually are. I I, I, I think they're going to, by the time we play them, it could very well be a matchup of top 10 teams. I don't know if... I don't know that that to me, Indiana's. I'm selling Indiana's stock as a top ten team. I'm not sure they're that good. But any other thoughts on that performance page before we move on? No, I think uh, yeah, I I we're almost at the point of just feeling sorry for Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I think we're just about there. Okay, well, look, I want to I want to have a look at 
Clemson, Notre Dame. Now I'm going to lean on you for this one because I did not see much of that game. I did see the outcome. I saw that it was a win in overtime, but tell me what you saw from Notre Dame and Clemson in that game. So Clemson's not as good as they have been and Notre Dame's better. Notre Dame played with them. Um, and it, it was one of those things where Notre Dame could have definitely been up. I think they were only up maybe seven or 10 at half. They could have easily been up 14 or 20. And so you just kind of had the feeling that, you know, you leave the, you know, you, you mess around with Clemson. We all know what happens, right? right. They're going to come back and they did. Um, and Notre Dame's good. I mean, I give them credit. Uh, I didn't think that they would play with Clemson. Um, Ian Book is, he's crafty, man. Like he gets out of trouble and he makes plays. He's got nowhere near like the athleticism of a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, who does, but um, he's a gamer. I give, I give him credit and Notre Dame fought back and, you know, Clemson um, went up by a touchdown with maybe like 90 seconds left to go, punted the ball, Notre Dame, you know, started that drive on their own 10. And I thought there's no way they're going to be able to score a touchdown. And they did. Wow. Right on the field. Venables, you know, he's a good defensive coordinator. And so, you know, but a lot of times he would, you know, bring everybody. And there was one big play where they picked up the blitz and they just had a guy do a skinny post right down the middle book hit him. It went for like 40 yards. And you got to give Notre Dame credit, man. They took punches from Clemson and hung in there and came back and won that game. Now, can they do that with Lawrence? I don't think so. Um, you know, when you just kind of look at the personnel on the field, clearly Clemson, you know, it's the same old thing. Like their whole defensive line is going to play in the pros. I mean, they just have athletes all over the place. Mm-hmm. But they don't look nearly as dominant as they have the last two years. Um, yeah. Well, now, they that, were they were down three starters, as I understand it, right? Two starting uh, linebackers right, and, a, and a defensive tackle, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a great game, though. I mean, yeah. that was the thing. Like, I kept thinking, well, I'll switch over to the high state game. But, you know, what's the point? Because I was watching the score and it was a back and forth contest. Oh. And, you know, it was never more than, I, you know, well, Notre Dame maybe was up, you know, double digits some in the first half, but definitely not in the second half. And so it was just a great college football game. Give credit to Notre Dame. They definitely deserve to win that game yeah. and they're going to face off again. And I don't think it hurts Clemson's case whatsoever, right? They're right. fine. Clemson yeah. wins the game the second time, they're making the playoffs unequivocally. You know, it's interesting because you had DJ, which is what I'm going to call him because I can't pronounce his last name. He's yeah. the, I think B- Bill Landis calls him the Polynesian Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. <laughs> He's a big strapping dude. So it's hard to imagine Clemson getting more production out of quarterback with the way he played, he finished with 439 yards passing and two touchdowns. So, which begs the question, even had Lawrence played, would the outcome have been different? Because they were, I mean, you can't play much better than DJ did. I guess you've got the threat of Lawrence as a runner. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the box score here again. I didn't see the game, but credit to Notre Dame. They really bottled up Travis Etienne. Etienne. 28 yards on 18 carries really stuffed him and they limited him as receiver. What Clemson likes to do is when ETN isn't getting, he doesn't have it going in the run game. Well, then they get him out of the backfield as a receiver where I actually think he's more dangerous. I think he's a more dangerous player as a receiver out of the backfield than he is as a running back. And they bottled him up there too. I mean, eight receptions, 57 yards, a long of 22. So yeah, credit to Notre Dame, 47 to 40. I have a feeling that the, the ACC title game could be a hell of a game. 
I think Notre Dame might be able to play with this Clemson team. Well, they, uh, clearly they can. And the other thing is a high state can't afford a loss because if that game's tight and say Clemson wins the second time, you could have a scenario where both those teams make the playoff. I think both of them might make the playoff even if Ohio State does get in. Yeah. I mean, Georgia's out. Florida, Florida, well, so I, there is a scenario in the SEC where the committee might be buying two SEC teams. Now that would have to be Florida winning out, Bama going undefeated, and then Florida edging out Bama in the SEC title game. And you've got two one-loss SEC teams that are, look very good. So there's a scenario there where still where two SEC teams get in. And I think two ACC teams getting in is a scenario that's still very much alive. So if you had to set your playoff field today, who are your top four? That's a good question. So Bama for sure, mm. I for sure. Would you seed them that way? Would you seed Bama's your one seed? Would you have Ohio State at two? Uh, yeah. I'd okay. have Alabama one, Ohio State two. I mean, you gotta you gotta go Notre Dame three and Clemson four. Mm, yeah. I've seen that very same order. I think maybe on ESPN or something. So I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I would leave the door open. Again, it would have to involve Florida yeah. beating you know, Bama in the SEC title game. I would leave it open for that scenario. Now, if both of these scenarios play out, now that could make it very interesting on Selection Sunday, right? Ohio State wins out, they're in. You've got a Bama-Florida, you know, scenario where Florida's your SEC champ is a one loss. They're in, but you got Bama sitting there whose only loss would be to Florida, otherwise look very impressive. And then you have a scenario maybe where Clemson edges out Notre Dame in the ACC title game, and you've got two very viable candidates there to get in. Could be very possible, I think. It's 2020, right? Of course, it has to be complicated. So I <laughs> would not be surprised if that well, happened. You know, the team that, that popped in my head, and who knows, after one game and you know, it's it's really hard to say who's good in the Big Ten, but my God, Wisconsin needs to get back playing, right? That forgot about them, right? Because they they have the, a different kind of a quarterback now than they typically have, and you don't want to forget about Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. And everyone, oh well, you know, they're back because of the quarterback. Well, okay, let's slow the roll. They did just beat Illinois, right? Um, so let's let's see them do it, you know, against a little better competition. And right. aren't they um, slated for Michigan this week? They are, but they still have quite a few active cases. I, oh. I don't know the status of that game. And I think they, we will know. Canceled. They're done. They're done. They're yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy. And you know, then there's that whole thing hovering yeah. in the background, right? This this COVID cases are out of control, right? I mean, what, that could very well bring a hammer down on all this, but let's, let's pretend that it won't. And <laughs> hope for the just enjoy. Yeah. Hope for the best. Rounding enjoy. the corner on COVID, but rounding the corner. <laughs> all right, my friend. Well, Hey, look, we are well over an hour and I, we've, I think we've taken a look at every game that matters. I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much for making the time. And we will reconvene later this week to have a look at Maryland. been listening to the south stands a buckeye football podcast you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com